0: What is up guys and welcome back to episode 17 of the Bleeding B&G Podcast. And guys, let me get the time step out of the way. Today is Thursday, June 10th football season is finally here guys football season is finally here and the reason that i say that is because the washington football team just wrapped up their mandatory mini camp session so you know we won't see them for another six or seven weeks the next step is training camp the next step is training camp so today i want to give you some news and notes that we've been hearing and coming out of ashburn regarding the mandatory mini camp sessions and then i want to lead into our biggest topic or our most important Topic for today. Um, I'm going to give you guys Bleeding B and G's list of the five best players on the Washington football team roster. And the reason that I created this list, or what led me to create this list, is because with all the news and reports coming out of camp, and just you know from my own observation, I see that this is one of the deepest rosters come, that the Washington football team franchise has filled it. Within my 25 years of existence and, you know, my 25 years of being a fan, whether it be the Washington football team or the Washington Redskins, I think that come September 12th, we might hold – we might be – in the deepest one through 53 that we've ever felt going into week one of an NFL season. So the reason that, um, but to be honest, it's it's always going to be the elite players that get you over the top, that have you competing and that have you, you know, uh, contending for Super Bowls and things like that. So you always got to look at the top end of the roster. There's a reason why Tom Brady has won seven championships, guys, because he's that elite of a talent. There's a reason why we've recently seen the Los Angeles Rams and teams like that in the Super Bowl. Because, you know, while they weren't the deepest team, their top 10 was better than anybody else's in the league. I'm talking about the year that they had, you know, Brandon Cooks, Todd Gurley, Aqib Talib, Marcus Peters. You know, their top 10 was elite was elite same thing with the kansas city chiefs so this that's the reason why i came up with my you know bleeding bng's list of the five best players on washington's roster because ultimately these are the guys that's going to have you contending um whether that be you know another first round of the playoffs exit or have you contended for you know a super bowl title and things like that so feel free to comment after you hit my list Feel free to give me your five best players on the Washington football team roster. And remember, feel free to just leave any feedback of the Bleeding B&G podcast. So, first, I do want to touch into these mini camp news and notes. I do want to get into some attendance, some housekeeping notes first. Um, so, first, there was no Jimmy Moreland, there was no JD McKissick, no John Bostic, or no Curtis Samuel for all mandatory mini camp sessions. And then Tim Settle missed the last two. Coach Rivera in his press conference um, said that Settle had an ailment, and then he said that it wasn't COVID-related. So that had me thinking that he was along the lines of, you know, being under the weather or illness or something like that. And then um, Moreland, McKissick, and Bostick all had um, excused absences, and then Curtis Samuel missed the sessions because of the groin injury that he sustained last week in OTAs. But I do want to touch on one of those names that I just ran through, and uh, that's Jimmy Moreland. While I know a lot of us in the Washington football team community love and adore Jimmy uh, Moreland, you know, he was a 7th round draft pick, and you know, in his first training camp, I think in 2019, the last year under Gruden, he came in and was a turnover machine. It was like Jimmy Moreland was almost picking passes left and right, um, and you know, he, he he came in, you know, he got he solidified the solid nickel corner role this past year, and did a he did a pretty decent job, you know, he didn't necessarily have... Have a, a great amount of splash plays but you know he impressed me as a tackler especially for somebody so small but and like I said I know you guys have an affinity for him in the Washington football team community he's a local guy coming from JMU and things like that but guys I am here to say that Jimmy Morland might get Wally pipped he might get Wally pipped out of a starting job or out of a roster spot in totality because a lot of the news reports coming from day two which was yesterday's uh practice session is that our third round rookie um Cornerback Benjamin St. Juice from the University of Minnesota. He had himself a day. Remember, this is a six-three corner, so we're talking about a guy with Richard Sherman-type measurable guys. And like, I, I couldn't, I, I, I swear, yesterday I couldn't have refreshed my Twitter feed without a Benjamin St. Juice update. Oh, Benjamin St. Juice is exploded out of his break to break up a pass. Benjamin St. Juice is running down stride for stride with De'Ami Brown, not allowing him any airspace as they go up for their pass, and then. It, this was the craziest report that I saw. They said that Benjamin St. St. Jude broke up a pass um, against Terry McLaurin in the, in the back of the end zone. But then I saw some reporters comparing it to an to a Allen Averson, Tyronn Lue type moment. I'm like, I know Benji not getting this, that disrespectful with my boy Terry like that. But I love the swagger. I love the swagger, and that's exactly the analogy they used. They said that Benjamin St. Juice stared down at Terry McLaurin after he broke up the pass. And I don't think it was anything along the lines of being disrespectful, but these are two alpha dogs competing. And we got to remember, like, guys, like I said, this is a guy with Richard Sherman measurables. This is a guy with Richard Sherman measurables. And, you know, while I didn't necessarily talk, uh, and he wasn't highly heralded in the pre-draft process, and I didn't necessarily talk about him um, a lot in my mock-off season episode, or my draft coverage or things like that. He was somebody that was on my radar after um, the Washington football team selected him because as I did some more research, this guy has Richard Sherman's measurables and, you know, a a tad bit over 6'3", uh 205 pounds so he's a little bit taller than richard sherman but reportedly if he was if he would have intended to combine and based off his pro day numbers he had the quickest short shuttle in the entire draft regardless of position regardless of offense defense regardless of weight height weight size speed Benjamin St. Juice, a 6'3 corner, had the quickest short shuttle in the entire draft class. So that shows that he's somebody that's fluid in his hips. He has good ankle flexion. You know, he's somebody that can get in and out of his breaks, which is very difficult for somebody with those long limbs. You know, we don't necessarily um, think of Richard Sherman as somebody that's dynamic and somebody that can cut in and out. He's more of a cerebral type athlete, uh, which makes Richard Sherman a great all time Hall of Fame corner. But if we can compare, uh, if we can grab somebody with, those type of measurables, and then athlete athleticism to boot, the sky's the limit for Benjamin St. Juice, and I will say this throughout the episode, guys. This is a practice session. This is on air. So we do have to taper our expectations. But I can see Benjamin St. Juice, you know, like I said, Wally Pippen, a guy like Jimmy Moreland. You know, um, Coach Del Rio in one of his interviews with Julie Donaldson said that, hey, we we may look to play, and Fred Smoot. I think he was actually talking to Fred Smoot. He said, we may actually look to play more man. We played a lot of man late last year. uh, But I don't necessarily think that, you know, um, Kendall Fuller and Ronald Darby uh, manage their best uh, man is their best style their man style corners but you know bringing in a guy like William Jackson and then bringing in a guy like Benjamin St. Juice you know those are like traditional press man cover corners that allow Jack Del Rio to do a lot of the things that he did um, with the Denver Broncos defense that won the Super Bowl with Chris Harris and Tlaib uh, Akeem Tlaib on the outside so the sky's the limit for Benjamin St. Juice and one of the other reasons that I think he may actually wildly pip Jimmy Morton is because you know this 6'3 corner you can actually put him on the outside and yeah he has no experience but he has the tangible measurements to line up and and like, you can put him against any receiver in the NFL, and he wouldn't necessarily be physically dominated by anybody. D.K. Metcalf, anybody. He the same he the same height as him. Yeah, D.K. Metcalf's a little bit thicker, but D.K. Metcalf's a freak. You know, he's bigger than Keenan Allen. He's bigger than a lot of these elite wide receivers. So, you know, him getting his hands on and things like that, that can only pose a lot of trouble. And you know, I say this because he's somebody that you can line up on the outside and you can eventually, you know, line back Kendall Fuller back into the inside where he was elite um, during his first tenure with the Washington football team, um, and they were the Redskins back there, where he graded out as the best slot corner in two thousand seventeen while as a member of the Washington Redskins. So, you know, I love Jimmy Moreland. you know, you my dog, you and know, all but Benjamin St. Juice is, you know, he may he may make, you know, primetime Jimmy a afterthought um to say the least to say the least um so that was one news and note that i wanted to cover the next news and note that i actually wanted to cover is that guys it looks like that we might have hit we might have hit this draft class out the park we might have hit this draft class out the park remember i'm going to remind you to taper your expectations because this is a uh, practice session in um early june but there are there are news and notes and praise coming about coming out about Almost all of our rookies. So that shows that the conglomerate of Ron Rivera, Marty Herney, and Martin mayu they, they did a great job getting the guys that they that they wanted. You know, I just gave you the report about Benjamin St. Juice, the guys over at the Washington Football Team Podcast. They have nothing but... They've been doing nothing but praising Samuel Cosme since they saw him last week in OTAs. First, it was about how loud he hit the, um, the bag and how explosive it sounded. Um, this week, you know, Mitch is... Giving him praise, talking about how if when he hits the blocking sled, it's just different from every other lineman. And then later on, JP was talking about a different session in practice where he said that Cosme just looked faster than every other lineman, and that's something that was backed up, you know, and that's something that can be verified with his combine numbers, and that's something that you know has me feeling very promising going into the 2021 um, season. If you guys can go back to uh, out with the old and with the, um, I mean, in with the new, out with the old episode, I mentioned that Cosme was probably the biggest reason that we cut Morgan Moses. You know, we have somebody that can may, may potentially be better or if not as good and coming at a way cheaper price. We already know he's more physically dominant. You know, this guy is seven, a behemoth of a man who bench-pressed 225 pounds 38 times and ran damn near a 740 So we know that the physical traits were there. We know that. And then for me to, to hear something like um, the report that Mitch gave out that he's just hitting the bag different, like he's moving the bag Way more drastically than any other lineman was especially promising as well because Benjamin's, uh, unlike Benjamin St. Jude, Samuel Cosby was somebody that I had a keen interest in with the pre draft process and during our draft coverage and things like that. If you can go back to our mock draft episode and then the episode that I did with um, the Tay and Todd podcast, shout out to my guys, I mentioned Samuel Cosby's name a lot because I actually love the type of athlete that he showed on film. But one of my biggest concerns was, you know, if he can hold up. At the point of attack, because he, ne- he didn't necessarily do that consistently at the University of Texas. So I was kind of shocked when I saw that he threw up 38 bench um, bench press reps um, at his pro day. But then when I hear things like you know Mitch saying that he hits the bag different and he's just he just moves much more drastically and much more explosive and powerful than any other lineman, that shows that Samuel Cosby has been putting. A hell of a lot of work in the offseason to improve just not only his functional strength, but just to be a more technically sound football player as well. And, you know, with those measurables and those traits that he has already exuded, the sky is the limit. The sky is the limit. So I've already given you two rookies um, with positive reports, and I haven't even gotten to our um, first-round rookie, Jamin Davis. If you guys listen to the Tay and Todd podcast, Matt Muller from ESPN said that Jamin Davis is his favorite for Defensive Rookie of the Year. And he also mentioned that Jamin Davis reminds him a lot of Ole Miss Patrick Willis. You know, Patrick Willis when he was at Ole Miss. But he said that Davis is an even better athlete, which is scary. Which is scary. So I'm just giving you three reports. I'm giving you three prospects and three, like, what would seem to be asinine reports, but these are the guys that's watching it. You know, we can't miss on all three. And then last of the, um, to top it off, De'Ami Brown. I'm hearing great things about De'Ami Brown as well. And and every day, uh, at least once in all three days, I saw a report about De'Ami Brown beating somebody deep. Whether the ball was being being completed or not, I saw a report that, you know, De'Ami Brown is blowing by these guys in, in, in the secondary And, you know, that's what he did at the University of North Carolina. Like I mentioned to you guys before, he led the country in um, average yards per reception last year. So, being a deep threat is what he does. And then there were other news and reports coming out that he's a lot bigger than, you know, what the projected measurables um, say about him and things like that. That J.P. Philly talked about how he just has easy speed. While it doesn't look like he's necessarily exploding off the line like a Terry McLaurin or like a Curtis Samuel, he's somebody that just displays the easy speed and it's on a consistent basis because he's beating somebody deep every 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 now practice period. Every damn practice period, so I'm very excited about our top half of the draft class, and then of course you got guys like Shaka, Tony, um, John Bates, and things like that that can also be key contributors as well. Uh, speaking of De'Ami Brown, though, one of those bombs that he actually connected with was a 60-yard pass with Taylor Heineke in yesterday's session, day two of the mandatory mini camp session, and I do want to touch on Taylor Heineke a bit. Um, from all reports coming from nearly everybody that's watched Minicamp, Taylor Heineke looks really, really good. Even uh, Michael Phillips from the Richmond Time Dispatch even said that he outplayed and outperformed Ryan Tannehill um, to culminate, you know, the three three-day session. You know, he was the better quarterback in the practice sessions and things like that. And guys, I'm ecstatic to hear that because you know Taylor Heineke is somebody who I'm an advocate for it. If you can go back to Bleeding B&G episode one, I want Taylor Heineke on the roster. I don't necessarily think, no, no, if he's going to be our franchise quarterback, but that's why you bring in somebody like Ryan Tannehill. they allow you the time to develop, and you can see these things in practices like that. We don't know if this was just a good three-day stretch, and he come back in training camp and be terrible. I doubt it, because he showed me that he's a hard worker, you know, doing things like putting or 15 pounds of muscle, and you see it in his upper body, and who knows? I don't think last year that Taylor Hainity was completing balls 60 yards in the air, like the one that he completed to De'Ami Brown in this minicamp session that they reported on. So, you know... Hey, maybe we do have our franchise um, quarterback waiting in the wings, but that's why you do bring in a guy like Ryan Fitzpatrick. Because if you guys can remember, you know, Ryan Fitzpatrick can be, you know, he can be. We essentially have two backup plans, you know. While Ryan Fitzpatrick did start the season with the Miami Dolphins, you know, when, you know, he was benched due to the GM wanting to see their investment and the guy that they spent high draft capital on, Tua Tug of Tagovailoa, he was the fifth um, overall pick for crying out loud. But, you know when Tua started to struggle they brought Ryan Fitzpatrick right back in so he was like a quasi backup plan if you guys can remember one of the biggest NFL moments was when Fitzpatrick was was inserted late in the NFL season late in that game against the Oakland Raiders and he brought them back with that game winning drive so if you know Ryan um, if Ryan Fitzpatrick doesn't pan out you do have a guy like Taylor Heineke who continues to impress with every opportunity that he gets if you know Taylor Heineke comes in um, or if he happens to beat out and the reason that I I do want to mention, you know, beating out uh, because Coach Ron Rivera did mention that there it will be some type of quarterback camp going into training camp. I know he has mentioned before that you know at that moment or at this moment that Ryan Fitzpatrick is QB one, but I think he even saw a lot out of Taylor um, Heineke in these three-day mini camp session. To even he brought up he brought up quarterback competition today um, in his um, final press conference. To, uh, to you know, top off camp. You know, he brought up, you know, I, I want Taylor Heineke pushing um, pushing um, Ryan Fitzpatrick to the max of his abilities. We didn't really necessarily have that type of competition last year. And then as far as Kyle Allen, he seems like the Iron man out. Don't necessarily know if he's getting um, uh, a surplus amount of snaps. We do have to remember that he is coming back from a... Um, a fractured ankle injury and things like that, so that does take time to recover from, but he does seem to be the odd man out in the quarterback room. Another um, another note that I wanted to um, pass on from the Minicamp News and Notes is, guys, I don't know what we're about to do with Landon Collins. I do not know what we're about to do with Landon Collins, and the reason that I say that is because... All our DBs seem to be making plays. And like I said, we have to taper our expectations. This is June practice sessions. But like even earlier today, you know, Bobby McCain, who was aligned at free safety with Cam Curl, he had two interceptions within the first six snaps of practice today. You get what I'm saying? And then, you know, Cam Curl, he, he shouldn't come off the field. Cam Curl should not come off the field for anybody. I don't care who it is. Not after the type of season that he had last year coming in as a seventh-round rookie with no off season. Leading his position in defensive stops as a rookie, like, come on, come on, like, and then, you know, bringing in guys like Derek Forrest and other safeties and things like that. I just don't know what what we're going to do with Landon Collins. You know, I never really necessarily thought that he would be considered a surprise cut. I always thought that we would find a way to keep him on the roster due to just, you know, his insane cap number and his salary. But... You know, like I gave you guys the timestamp, it's June 10th now. We can give land in that post June 1 designation where we can spread out that dead cap hip over the course of two years. And you know, Just looking back, Landon got, you know, he injured his Achilles late in October. An Achilles is, you know, uh, usually a 12 to 15 month, you know, injury period or injury recovery time that you need to take to recover from an Achilles and things like that. So even if he was on the low end with the 12, that would place him almost in the middle of this season coming up. And then all the reports coming out that you know he does some individual um, drills. He doesn't look as fluid in his backpedal. But as soon as we go into seven on seven or eleven on eleven, he's standing far back, almost 50 yards away from everybody. That sounds like somebody that knows they're not in the plans. Now, granted, that's you know they have said that he's been engaged. He's helped all the younger guys and things like that. But that's that's you're getting paid 60 million dollars on your contract, bro. Those aren't 60 million dollar qualities you know being engaged and helping out the young guys i'm sorry you're getting paid to be on the field and i hate to sound like this because i do love landing but we just got to be realistic landing is the least versatile safety and then all the safeties coming out, coming in, are making plays. What I mean by least versatile, I mentioned Bobby McCain earlier. He's primarily a free safety at this point in his career, but he can play strong safety in the pinch. Cam Curl is primarily a strong safety at this point in his career, but he can play free safety in the pinch. Then you got a guy like Derek Forest who can play both as well. You know, you get what I'm saying. And then you get guys like Jeremy Reed and DeShawn Everett who I know Coach Rivera loves. So I just see it's a, it's a, it's a long jam at that position. And Landon is the only one that's not not practicing or not giving us any service time. You get what I'm saying? He's not giving us any service time. So the writer may be on the wall with Landon Collins. So I don't want you guys to be too surprised if he's a surprise cut coming um you know later in the offseason what i do think may happen is that he's actually put on the you know pup physically unable to perform list so you know they give him that full 12 months uh, to see how he comes back um you know in the middle of the year and then they have to make a decision then because if he's not healthy by the time that you know that pup um standing is withheld and things like that i doubt that he comes back for the 2022 season um lastly to wrap up my notes um with the wash uh, regarding the Washington football team's mandatory mini camp session is that you know the defensive line seemed dominant in 11 on 11 that came from nearly every reporter i know in yesterday's session I think the first four plays, the first play, Montez Sweat tipped a Ryan Fitzpatrick pass. The second play is Chase Young, Matt Antonio Gibson in the backfield. And then I think the fourth play, Deron Payne and Jonathan Allen just pushed their matchup into Ryan Fitzpatrick's lap, which would have, if it wasn't going to be a, a sack, it would have been just pressure in his face called, that could have ultimately resulted in a turnover. So the defensive line scene dominated. And I, like I said, Let's taper our expectations. I told you I'm going to keep reminding you guys because we've been hearing this about the defensive line since at least, I want to say, 2018. Since I want to say since Deron Payne was drafted. You know, those last two years, you know, oh, the, the Alabama wall is blowing up the defensive line. We can't run any plays, you know, and things like that. And then you come to the regular season and they're not what they were made out to be. Based off of the reports coming out of training camp and you know, mandatory mini camps, so I do want to taper my expectations. But this is a different breed of defensive lineman. This, this is this is you know, Chase Young in his second year, Montez Sweat in his third year, De'Ron Payne in what his fourth year, and then Jonathan Allen in his fifth. So we got a bunch of dogs that are coming, you know, they have one more year in experience in the system and things like that, and you know. I be, I'm starting to believe the hype this year. The, my only thing with the defensive line is we can't fall in love with the sack numbers and the passing numbers. We got a lot of sacks last year. That was great. Chase Young did his thing. Montez, Ryan Kerrigan, everybody got this as far as the passing game. But there were games where teams ran on us if they wanted to. You get what I'm saying? Like the San Francisco 49ers, they did run on us. The New York Giants ran on us in both games. You get what I'm saying? Like... The Detroit Lions ran the ball down our throats. Down our throats, the Detroit Lions. You get what I'm saying? So I, I do want to buy this defensive line hype, and I, I'm, I'm all for it. Personally, um, there was a list that came out um, based off of Pro Football Focus. You guys, can, you guys know how I felt about them based off our last episode. But they came out with a list of the best defensive lines going into the 2021 season, and they had Washington ranked number two behind Pittsburgh. And I personally think that's too low. I think that the Washington football team has more dominant defensive linemen and are more dominant as a unit as far as defensive linemen than the Pittsburgh Steelers, but to each his own. Um, So with that being said, I just, I I want them to exude that dominance for all 17 games of this regular season. That's all I ask is consistency. That's all I ask. Um, And lastly, but not least, um, Ryan, um, as I mentioned, Taylor Heineke was playing, uh, outplaying Ryan Fitzpatrick. Ryan Fitzpatrick did have his fair share of interceptions um, over the course of the mandatory minicamp session. He threw one, uh, he threw a couple to Bobby McCain. I know he threw um, one to Cole Holcomb yesterday, and he threw one to Khalil Hudson today. So that's the Fitz tragic that you get along with the Fitz magic, um, and you know, we knew that Ryan Fitzpatrick was going to. Throw interceptions, guys. Like we didn't think that he was gonna come in and beat Tom Brady. We do think it's gonna be an upgrade over the quarterback play last season. But we knew that he was gonna come in and throw interceptions. That's why I'm not too worried about it. And I'd rather him throw an interception in a June practice session than come in in Week One, in September 12th, throwing all the picks against the San Diego Chargers. I'd rather him or the Los Angeles Chargers, excuse me. I'd rather him get all the interceptions out the way uh, now. So that's it. I'm um, just wrapping up uh, mini camp news and notes. The last thing that I wanted to touch on is that it's. Just even looking from the videos, and then Coach Rivera hopped on it in his press conferences. This team is just looking a lot faster. The tempo of practice looks a lot faster. The receivers running their routes on air looks faster. defensive linemen, you know, hitting the bags. They look like they're moving faster. And, you know, team speed, it just looks like we have a lot more team speed. You add a, a linebacker that runs a 4-3 in Jamin Davis, and then you add, you know, guys like, you know, William Jackson who's running a 4-3. And you, you, just, you just add a lot more team speed. Not even on just the defensive end, you had a guy like De'ami Brown and Curtis Samuel to your offense. You know, a, uh, Antonio Gibson looks to be coming back. You know, with more experience at running back and things like that. We forget that Antonio Gibson has four three speed and he's 6'1", 230 pounds. He's a freak, and he necessarily didn't have experience playing running back last year and still had almost nine hundred yards rushing. Like, 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 come on, like. I have a lot of high hopes for this football season. So that's just that's it. Um, wrapping up our mini camp news and notes. Um, I did touch on Antonio Gibson. He he's uh, from the reports coming out. He's looking explosive. He he looks he looks like he's kept up his weight. So he's still at two hundred and thirty boulder, bowling ball, coming to you with, you know, 4-3 speed. So I'm, I'm having a lot of high expectations and high projections for Antonio Gibson as well. So that's it for our mini camp news and notes. Now to get to our meat and potatoes of the episode, b b and G, we're going to give you guys our ranking of our five best players on the Washington football team roster. So like I said, the reason that I came up with this list is because I think that, you know, the top half and your elite talent is what's going to have you competing for, you know, Super Bowls. Of course you need depth because, you know, injuries happen. You know, people get tired and things like that. Of course you need depth. But, you know, your franchise cornerstones and your your best of the best players are what's going to have you competing for division titles and Super Bowls and things like that. So, without further ado, here is and B&G's five best players on the Washington football team roster. So, I'm going to give you it in order counting down. So, I'm going to go from five to one. So at number five breathing B G's fifth best player on the Washington football team roster is actually somebody that we just signed this offseason period and that's William Jackson the third that is William Jackson the third cornerback. And the reason that I think that William Jackson III is one of the best five, uh, one of the five best players on the Washington football team roster is he plays one of those cornerstone positions. You know, cornerback along with, you know, edge rusher, um, left tackle, and quarterback are those cornerstones, most vital positions on the football field. And I've seen William Jackson lock up prime Antonio Brown with my own eyes. I don't know if I can say that about any other cornerback in the world. Screw the NFL because that just means present guys right now. I'm talking about guys in the, in the, in the past, guys that have had played in the NFL. If you want to talk about XFL, AAF, I don't know if I can say that about any other defensive back in the world that I saw them win their matchup against prime Pittsburgh Steelers Antonio Brown. I can say that about William Jackson, and he did it more than once. He did it more than once. I know a lot of people will talk about how his numbers have gone down since that year. I think that was his 2017 year, where he had a statistically one of the most historically and statistically one of the most historic years a cornerback can ever have. You know, rivaling Darrell Revis's 2009 season. A, a lot of the people in the Cincinnati fan base, oh, oh don't bother William Jackson the Third. height bro, y'all are trash. Y'all been trash. He been playing behind y'all trash defensive line for the last three years and still making plays. So don't, don't, don't try to make it seem like we're getting damaged goods. We're getting one of the best cornerbacks in the NFL, and we said it over here at Bleeding B and G. So that's why William Jackson, and like I said, he's, he's going he's gonna to change the complexity of this defense. Expect us to play a lot more press man with him and a guy like Benjamin St. Juice are able to get their hands on receivers. And guess what? Even an extra split second, we're going to have guys like Chase Young. Dogs like Montez Sweat, Matt Ioannidis, Jonathan. All they need is that split second to get to the quarterback, bro. So I expect him to just just contribute that much more turmoil to the defense, and that's why I have him ranked as one of the fifth best play, one of the five best players on the Washington Football Team roster. William Jackson the third, coming in at number five. Coming in at number four, Big Nasty, Big Country, whatever you want to call him, Brandon Scherf, our first All Pro in, Lord knows how long. I don't know if we had an all-pro before Brandon Scherf. I don't know if the color TV was out back then. We had had an all-pro since black and white. I'm being a little exaggerating. You know, I'm being a little funny. But, like, it's been that many years. And, you know, a lot of us in the Washington football team community are mad at Brandon for signing that franchise tag. But there's a reason why, you know, there's a reason why we, we, we're willing to pay him $18 million and not let him just walk out the door. You know, of course, we, we could get... Trade compensation or something like that, but Brandon Scherf is one of the five or six best guards in the NFL, especially when healthy. My biggest, my biggest gripe with Brandon Scherf is that you know he's 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 somebody that has battled injuries, you know, missing a total of sixteen games over the course of the last three years. But when he's healthy and when he's playing, he's one of the best NFL in guards in the NFL. He he moves. I don't know a guard that moves better in space than Brandon Scherf. I'm not saying that he's the best guard in the NFL, but I don't know a guard that moves better in space than Brandon Scherf, and that includes Quentin Nelson. As far as just moving in space, I think Brandon Scherf might be the best pull blocker in the NFL. Now, I know a lot of you guys, some of you guys that may be listening to this podcast don't know the terminology and the dexterities of what I'm talking about, but Brandon Scherf is a is a freak. He's a freak. He's He puts up freak numbers in the weight room. He's somebody that's good for your culture. He's an early in, laid out guy. And like, he's one of the five best players on this roster. He's the only all pro, first team all pro we have on this roster. So I think that even me putting him at number four might be too low. But I do think that the players I have ranked ahead of him are better for the Washington football team. So I love Brandon Scherf. Um, if this is his last year, I hope he goes out with a bang. I would love to keep, you know, a talented player like Brandon Scherf around for the long term um, and one of the best guards in the NFL. So Brandon Scherf checks in at number four for the Bleeding b five best players on the Washington football team roster. Checking in at number three. Checking in at number three is my guy. My guy that I had a rant for last week. Scary Terry McLaurin. Scary Terry McLaurin. Um, and the reason that I'm talking about scary Terry McLaurin is because he's a stud. He's a he's he's a dog under the radar. He was he was our only wide receiver option last year, and he still had over a hundred catches and nearly uh, over 1,100 yards. Playing with four sorry quarterbacks. Yes, I said it. Four sorry. No, three sorry quarterbacks and Taylor Heineke. Ah, ah. Let me be a little bit nicer. Two sorry quarterbacks. Alex Smith, you were pretty sorry. Dwayne Haskins. Cal Island, who is a little below average, and then Taylor Heineke. I don't know what to give you. Just Taylor Heineke. So that's what he had um, last year, and he still was able to put up 1,100 receiving yards and over 100 catches. He's one of the best route runners in the NFL going into only his third year. And then if you compare him with a lot of the other route running gods in the NFL, Terry McLaurin is more explosive than all of them. You know, we often praise Keenan Allen and Devontae Adams for their route running skills, but they're not doing it running 4 3. They're not. They're not. They're not. And I imagine Terry McLaurin having even a bigger year because we know that Ryan Fitzpatrick is going to give him his chances. We know that he's going to give him his chances. I mentioned how, you know, Benjamin St. Juice had a pass breakup against Terry, but all the reports coming out is Terry's burning by everybody else. He's burning by St. Juice too, it was just that one play. You know, Terry McLaurin is a stud receiver. I saw um, I saw some um, research um, somebody had put out on Twitter that Terry McLaurin wins at a, a superstar rate, like. He wins at a superstar rate. Like, he had a 97th percentile, I think it was like intermediate and breaking routes, 97th percentile, intermediate, out-breaking routes, and he was like in the 93rd percentile and like deeper routes and things like that. Terry McLaurin is a stud. He's a dog, and he's a hard worker. He's somebody that has to work, has the work to get to where he's at, and he deserves everything for it. One of the coaches from Ohio State um, was, you know, galvanizing with the Washington football team community. And he put out a fun fact that Terry McLaurin had to go against seven first-round defensive backs during his five years at the the Ohio State University because he did red shirt. So we see, like, we see where the technician part comes in because he knows what it takes to go against the best. Seven times over. So he just took with it, you know, that hard work that that he instilled and had had at the Ohio State University and just took it to the NFL and became one of the best receivers in the NFL. He became one of the best receivers in the NFL and the third best player on the Washington football team roster at this point. Number two, number two. So number two, I actually gave it to Jonathan Allen. um, And it actually shocked me. Um, that I actually, it shocked myself that I actually gave Jonathan Allen the spot at number two. Um, a lot of us in the Washington football team community have been, have, have, have gotten on, you know, John Allen's case before. Uh, whether, you know, whether that be the comments that he said about fans or, you know, um, you know, him having Coach Gruden's back and things like that. Um, and, you know, a lot of us thought that he didn't live up to the expectations um, of, you know, he was the Heisman runner-up to Lamar Jackson his last year in college, you know. Before the reports came out about his shoulder, Alfredic the Alfredic shoulders, and you know his shoulder issues and things like that, he was projected to be the first defensive player drafted in that draft before Solomon Thomas, before anybody you want to name. Jonathan Allen was a top three, top five lock at one point before all those medical histories, uh, medical um, transcripts came out. But guess what? Jonathan Allen lived up to that bill in this past season. After kind of a slow start where I heard that a lot of the defensive linemen had an issue with the new one-gap technique rather than the two-gap technique that we're doing in the 3-4 and at Alabama. After a slow start, you know, Jonathan Allen picked up his pace and became damn near unblockable. I'm talking about from the Pittsburgh game on out. There's a confirmation on Twitter. I want you guys to pull it up. of Jonathan Allen's pass rushes against the Pittsburgh Steelers. It's, it's some of the most beautiful stuff I've ever seen in my life. He was just whipping ass all night. He was just whipping guys' ass all night. It was some of the most beautiful shit I've seen in my life. I didn't expect this to be an explicit podcast, but that's how damn dominant he was in that goddamn game. Jonathan Allen is a stud, and he's, 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 he's giving me the flashes of the dominance that I saw his last year in Alabama, and that's why I give him the second best player on this Washington football team. He's the most versatile of all linemen. Um, you know, Matt Ioannidis is great against the pass. He does have some struggles against the run. Deron Payne is pretty, pretty, pretty damn good against the run. I would say he's average against the pass. John Allen's good at both. He's good at both. Yeah, I know he only had two sacks last season. Yeah, but that's because you got freaking Montez Sweat and Chase Young on the other edge. He had six as an interior defensive end in a three-four the year before. So Jonathan Allen is a stud, and I expect him to be earning one of these all-pro notches or all-pro um, nominations pretty soon at this point. So checking in at number two, defensive defensive tackle, Jonathan Allen. Again, oh, my last reason. One of the reasons why I also think that he broke out and was very dominant, especially um, in the second half of this year, we got to remember that Jonathan Allen isn't typically... Like he's not your typical space-eating defensive lineman. He's somebody just looking to split the gaps and to to meet your your running back when he when he's getting the ball in the backfield. You know he's not a uh, oh let me let me take on all these blockers. He's about two hundred eighty-five to two hundred ninety-five pounds, so he's not a behemoth of a man. So I just think that you know this four-three scheme suits him perfectly. So he he has nothing to do but go up. He had a uh, press conference yesterday where they were asking him about the scheme changes and things like that. And he was just like, dude, I get paid to whoop people's asses. I don't really care about 3-4-4-3. I don't care. I get paid to whoop people's asses. And that's what he did all second half of last season. Shout out to Jonathan Allen, my dog, my dog. Number two, the second best player on watching the football team's roster. So I'm pretty sure, you know, I don't really have to have too much suspense because I'm pretty sure you guys know who number one is. The best player on the Washington football team roster is Chase the Predator Young. Chase Young. Chase Young. He's easily the best player on his roster, the most dominant, the biggest the biggest profile, the biggest superstar, defensive rookie of the year. Like I don't know if you guys were aware of how dominant Chase was with the second half in the second half of the season. And I know that his 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 sack numbers might not show it uh, when you compare him to guys like Nick Bosa's sack numbers and things like that. But he plays the run better than both the Bosa's already. He plays the run better than both the Bosa's. Any elite pass rusher, I don't know if any elite pass rusher in the NFL plays the run better than Chase Young right now. And then he had his press conference after um, day one of the uh, mandatory minicamp where he said he was dealing with a hip injury all season. That led to his pull going in um, week three against the Cleveland Browns. So we got this animal of a man in the second half of the season. And he wasn't even 100%. So imagine what he's going to do um, coming up in year two. Following up his defensive rookie of the year campaign. Imagine. I'm expecting somewhere between the lines of 15 sacks. About 40 solo tackles. About Near twenty tackles for loss, cause he's that good. I believe at the end of this season, Chase Young will be in a conversation with the best defensive players in the NFL, along the likes of Khalil Mack, Aaron Donald, and things like and guys like that, cause he is that good. He's the culture setter. He's the he's the he's the tone setter. If you look at some of the videos coming out of minicamp, dudes are following Chase like he's not a twenty-two year old man. I'm talking about grown men following Chase. Oh, him to get behind Chase and drills. Because he's that type of leader. So I don't ever want to hear about a, him, oh, missing OTAs. He told you why he missed OTAs. I'm a superstar. I got endorsements to do. We always complaining about how we're not getting enough national attention and national media. But we got that in Chase Young. The best player on this Washington football team roster. And like I said, the reason why I think that. It's because he's on his way to becoming a dominant edge rusher. But we expected him to be coming out of the Ohio State. But I don't think that there's an edge rusher in the NFL right now that plays the run better than him. Especially not an elite edge rusher that has more sacks than him. And he did that on a bad hip and a poor groin. There's a reason why he's a predator fool. There's a reason why we called him a generational talent. As we were getting ready to draft him with the second overall pick in the 2020 NFL Draft. Chase Young, I love you. You're that dude. You're the best player on the Washington football team roster. And I expect that to be that way for a long time. So that's it for episode 17 of the Bleeding B and G podcast, guys. I hope you guys were well informed with our mini camp news and notes. I hope you guys were entertained with our five best players on the Washington football team roster. As always, as always, please leave us feedback. You can follow us on our social media pages. Our Instagram is at bleeding B-N-G. That's B-L-E-E-D-I-N-G-B-N-G. Our Twitter is at Bleeding B N G. Spelling is a tad bit different. That spelling is B-L-E-E-D-I-N-B-N-G. So it's only one G in our Twitter handle. And then remember guys, you can find us at, on all podcast platforms at this... I'm talking about Apple Podcasts. I'm talking about Spotify. I'm talking about Google Play. You can find us on all podcast platforms at this point. And remember to search Bleeding B&G or Bleeding Burgundy Burgundy and Gold on YouTube as well. Because this is a visual podcast. So if you want to check out my beautiful face, you can check us out on YouTube. Or if you just want to listen to audio only, remember we're available on all podcast platforms. Guys, football season is here. So you're going to be getting a lot of Bleeding B&G content. A lot of bleeding B and G episodes. I'm thinking about buying a GoPro so I can vlog when I'm at the games. Cause you know your boy is a season ticket holder. So remember, tap into our, um, tap into all of our podcasts. Please leave a rating, leave a comment where you can. Please leave a rating, a five-star rating, if you feel like feel the need that we're a five-star podcast or Apple podcast because those help out our, our help us out a lot as far as like, you know, finessing the algorithm and things like that. So that's it for episode 17 of the Bleeding B and G podcast. I'm so excited for this upcoming football season. I hope you guys tap back in for episode 18.